So are you ready to get into the word? It's been a while since we were in Revelation, and we're on the sixth church. It took since, I don't know when I started this, long time ago, right? The sixth church, and it's Philadelphia, and I'm so excited to talk about Philadelphia. Philadelphia has about six verses, and wow, so much packed into this little bit of scripture. And my head was kind of spinning trying to study for this message. I've actually had a lot of time to meditate on it, and a lot of um, words from the Holy Spirit regarding what's happening in Revelation 3. 7, I believe, through 13. But Philadelphia, let's pray first, because I really would love the Holy Spirit to, um, to share what he wants, right, through the word. Holy Spirit, we invite you to, to minister to us with this word. God, speak to our hearts individually, corporately, that we would hear a message from heaven this morning. And we thank you, God, that your word never changes. And it's sharper than any two-edged sword. And we invite you to change us with your word. We invite you to transform us with your word, God. Let our eyes be opened. Let our ears be opened so that we can hear you clearly. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So Philadelphia, we're here. And Philadelphia is a church that did not get rebuked by Jesus. Okay, so that's a really cool thing to learn right off the bat is that Philadelphia, he had nothing bad to say about Philadelphia. Philadelphia, the city was located furthest southwest on the Romans Road. Laodicea is further south, but that, that map does not look right compared to the other maps I've seen. Anyways, Furthest southwest of the cities on the Roman road, Atlas, the king of Pergamum, established the city in 150 BC, okay? 150 BC in honor of his brother, and that's why he named it Philadelphia, because Philadelphia means city of brotherly love, and we have our own Philadelphia there just a little while, just a little bit far away um, in Pennsylvania. So it means city of brotherly love. It was actually the gateway to the east. Um, it had the borders of Mysia, Lydia, and Phrygia. I don't know if I'm saying that right. But they met at Philadelphia. So consequently, it had international influence. At the time, it was an international city. It was the gateway to the area right, of Greece where that was um, established there. And so it was kind of like like you would say a Jer- New Jersey, right? You have all nations coming in through New York and New Jersey. You have all nations coming in through LA. And that's kind of the same way. It was, everything was, everybody was coming in through Philadelphia. And it actually became a missionary town to spread Hellenism. Now, don't be scared by that word. It was actually just the Greek culture. So Greece, their idea was to spread their culture so that in turn, You know, their empire would expand. And so they were a missionary to spread the gospel of Hellenism. Isn't that crazy? So just a lot of of interesting um, similarities to what Jesus wanted to do with the Church of Philadelphia. Um, It was actually called Little Athens because it had so many 
of the Greek gods and goddesses and their temples. So there was a whole section of the city that just had like a little flavor of everything you could get involved in in Greek culture. And that was there, and they called that little Athens. Geographically, it was located on the Mount of on the slope of Mount Timolus, I think, and it was in a volcanic region. So the valley was fertile, and right now that's the present day. It's kind of a grainy picture, but that was the present day um, Philadelphia, and you can see that it kind of sits in a valley. Well, then it was very fertile, and they had a lot of um, grapes, vineyards, and so the main god of the city was Dionysus. And so Dionysus was the Greek god of wine and revelry. And I don't know, I think we've talked about him a little bit. But <clears throat> so that was the main god of the city. Due to the volcano that, hap that was on top of Mount Timolus, there was um, a lot of earthquakes that happened. And a huge earthquake destroyed the city in 17 A.D., um, even though it was given a tax relief in order to rebuild, it didn't recover because there were so many aftershocks, so many aftershocks. And people would, I mean, the buildings back then would just tumble, right? They would just fall right on top of them. So people would often flee to the outside of the city, live in tents in different places just to keep themselves safe. But we just want to keep this in mind because Jesus gives a promise later on in this passage um, that they wouldn't have to flee his presence. So finally, a leader, Tiberius, re helped rebuild the city, and it was given a new name. If you know the passage that we're going to get into, Jesus talks about new names. It was given a new name um, to honor the Caesar that helped him, and now it was called Neo Caesarea, Caesarea? I don't know. I don't, I, I, my Greek is not very good. Um, then it changed again. Another emperor moved in, and they changed the name to his family's name, Flavia. And now it, it is an actual um, Turkish name, which is Elishir. I don't know. Anybody speak Turkish? No. What is that? Elishia. There you go. Okay. Thank you. So we'll reference this again because names are significant in the passage. So let's get to, the, to this first scripture in Revelation 3, 7. This is the, ad, the address to the church, right? It says, and to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, write, he who is holy, who is true, who has the key of David and who opens and no one will shut and who shuts and no one opens, says this. So we know that in every church, Jesus presents himself very significantly and very specifically to this church. And it usually references the description that Jesus gave of himself in Revelation 1. But this time, it's a little bit different. This time, he references himself as the one who holds the key of David. And that is very, very significant. Um, and the, the way that we're going to find this significance is that we use scripture to interpret scripture, right? And so we're going to go back to the only time that the scripture talks about this key of David, and that's in Isaiah 22, 22. So we're going to look at what he could possibly be referencing in Revelation 3. 
In Isaiah 22:22, it says, Then I will put the key of the house of David on his shoulder. And when he opens, no one will shut. And when he shuts, no one will open. And I will drive him like a peg in a firm place. And he will become a throne of glory to his father's house. Now, that just doesn't tell us that much until you look at the context of the story, right? He, this, this word, he was talking about Eliakim. Now, Eliakim, who's Eliakim, right? <laughs> He's not like this big name in the Bible that we all know about. But Eliakim in 2 Kings 18 and 19, there's a story where King Hezekiah had these house administrators. One was a lawyer. His name was Shebna. One was Eliakim. And there was some other guys. And I didn't remember his names because they're not important <laughs> right now. So what happened is Shebna who had this responsibility over Hezekiah's house, was a man that was just all about himself. He was worried about himself. He was trying to self-protect. He was trying to self-promote. He was, he was just focused on himself. And Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, was saying, that's not okay. God doesn't see that as pleasing to him and honorable to him. Instead, we're going to give this authority to Elohim. Eliakim. I don't know. Depends on how you want to say it. Eliakim. And so we see this verse, and Eliakim becomes this type and shadow of Jesus. Because when you look at that, who do you think of? You think of Jesus, right? And in the Old Testament, there is present context, and there's always prophetic context. And that's what this is. This is a prophetic word, a type, a shadow of Jesus who was going to come. And they said that Eliakim, because you are honorable, his name actually means God will establish. Because you are honorable, he didn't have to establish himself. He didn't have to make himself important. He didn't have to strive for earthly success with arrogance and self-promotion. He just had to steward the king's house honorably. Man, that's a lesson we can learn from, right? We just have to steward what God has put in our lap. What he's given us, our children, our house, our career, right? We have to steward that well. And God said, because Eliakim, I can trust him. I'm going to give him the key to the house of David. Now, what does the key to the house of David even mean? He was given the key for King Hezekiah's personal chambers. His personal chambers. So Hezekiah was from the line of David, right? And, and this line had promised, what, what was promised through the line of David? The Messiah. And so Hezekiah was a part of that. And, and Eliakim was given, and he carried the responsibility. He could gain access to the king anytime he wanted. They actually said, I couldn't find a picture of it, they actually said that they would sew this key into the robe of the one that was honored that way. The chamberlain is what they called it. Because they, uh, they were in charge of the king's chambers. That means they could go in and talk to his, their, his wife if they wanted to right? They could go in and talk to his kids whenever they wanted to. That was a very privileged position, right? And so it's where we get the phrase key of the house of David. He had the responsibility and the authority to unlock access to the king's most private presence and treasures. 
and Jesus does too. He is the key to the God's kingdom where his presence and power dwell. Jesus has the authority to open doors and shut them. See, we, we look at this picture of Philadelphia and we see this city that was the gateway, right, to Greek culture. And Jesus says, I have the key. I can open and make possible what no man can make possible. Right? This Greek culture was trying to come in and infiltrate the world. And Jesus is saying, I'm, I live up here. I'm up here. And oftentimes we see ourselves the same way. We're trying to make things happen, right, on earth. Go back to school. Get that other degree. Do this. Do that. Do whatever you feel like you have to do. And Jesus is saying, I have a key. It's right here on my shoulder. Use me for access to what you need to do. So this is who is addressing the church, the one with the key, access to God. In Revelation 3.8, let's go to that, and Jesus starts talking to them. He says, I know your deeds. Just that little sentence, I know your deeds, that meant so much to them. Because Jesus is saying, I know what you're going through. And that's what he's saying to us, too. He knows what we're going through. He knows when we're tired, when we don't have any money left over, right? When our air condition breaks this morning. He knows what we're going through. He's directly involved in your your difficult relationships, in your feelings of rejection. He's involved. He knows what you're going through. And that's important. He's saying to the city of Philadelphia, I know what you're going through. He says, behold, and that word there, it's almost like, wow. It could be like, look. You know, it's, it's very similar to those two words. He says, behold, I have put before you an open door. There's that door again. We're going to talk about doors. We're going to talk about keys. We're going to talk about um, names. <laughs> we're going to talk about pillars. <laughs> talk about all these things th- this morning. But that open door, which no one can shut because... You have a little power and have followed my word and have not denied my name. Now, because you have a little power, right there, we get a little confused with that verse, right? We're like, what? What is he talking about? And when I looked up in the Greek, you could really understand it a little bit better if you understood what those words meant. So, micros means... What would you guess? Small or little, right? That's where we get our word, micros. But, you know, he says, you have a little power. Really what he's saying is you may be small. You know, there weren't a lot of believers in Philadelphia. There were a small group. They were probably like an Avon Lake campus, right? (laughs) It's probably a small group. He's saying, you might be small. And in the power, in dunamis, power, it says resources is another definition of power. So it says you might be small and you might not have a lot of resources, but guess what? One commentator in there, in the the Strong's study, 
where I study there. <laughs> Let's just put it that way. A commentator said, even though thou art poor in number and worldly resources, you have followed my word and have not denied me. So this translates to me that you are following the Great Commission and will not be back, will not back down on professing my lordship. And because of this, because you persist, even though you're strong, you don't deny his name, even though you don't have a lot of resources, what is Jesus saying? He's saying, I've opened this door before you. And you have this open door that you can choose to walk through. Now that is powerful because that applies to every one of us in here. Every one of us in here. Three things that an open door speaks of. Obviously, it speaks of access, right? Mm -hmm. Speaks of access. What do we have access to? We have access to God's kingdom. Mm -hmm. To God's kingdom. And now, more than ever before, it is time for us to walk through the door. Right? We see the enemy's kingdom. It's obvious. He's trying to enlarge his tent, right? He's trying to expand his kingdom. But it's time for us to gain access into something, into the, into the door of heaven, God's kingdom, that God has given us access to. In Matthew 16, 19, Jesus says, he says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. I will give them to you, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. We have those keys. We have to choose to operate in that access, in, those, in that authority, and we use our keys so that we can work in the kingdom of God. You know, in the Lorraine campus, it's a big, huge building if you haven't been there before. And... We used to have a school, and there used to be a ton of staff and people in there 24 hours a day, and we, we would have to code a couple rooms, my dad's office and a couple, like a back hallway, and not everybody had the code, right? So a lot of, a couple of administrators had it, and some maintenance persons had it, and then us kids had it, because we would go back and hang out with our dad whenever we wanted to, Right? Like, that's our dad. He wanted to make sure that we had access to him. And so we would hit the code, and we would go, and we'd raid the refrigerator, and we were hungry, and we'd give the code to our kids, Dominic and Dion, and they would run back there, hit the code, and go back and have the food and, and hang out with the guest speakers or do whatever, you know, because we're great kids and grandkids. Do you, do you get what I'm trying to say? Like, Jesus has given us the code. Like, we can go into the king's chambers whenever we want. Our father wants to give us access to everything he has, every treasure he holds, every supernatural thing that's not a part of this world. It belongs to us. We have to use the key. We have to open the door walk through the door that he has opened, and we have access to everything that is his. So that access is important when we think of doors. Another thing that's important is opportunity. We think of opportunity when we think of open doors. What is the opportunity? It's to preach the gospel. Every single one of 
of you in here should be preachers of the gospel. It is not just the person with the microphone's responsibility, is it? You have a responsibility to share the good news and to preach the gospel. There's a story Paul had always talked about his open doors because he went through all, right, all these missionary journeys to spread the gospel. And in 1 Corinthians 16.9, he was talking to the Corinthians, to Corinth, that he was going to come back to them and see them and continue his ministry to them. And he said, but I can't come yet. <laughs> I can't come yet because God has opened this door for me to go preach in Ephesus. And he says, for a wide door for effective service has opened to me. And there are many adversaries. What? You mean when a door's open, it's not always easy? Yes. It's not always easy. (laughs) Actually, when you make a decision to go through an open door, guess what? You're going to meet adversaries. Because they're going to try to stop you from going through the door and from making the opportunity to preach the gospel work. It doesn't mean you won't have opposition. It doesn't mean it will be easy. It doesn't mean a lot of people will show up. This is important. It doesn't mean that you'll have all the money and the resources you need on earth, right? It means you have opportunity. And the sad truth is, is that a lot of modern day (coughs) preachers, speakers, leaders, whoever you want to call them, singers, they won't show up if there's not a big crowd. They won't show up if there's not big offerings. But Jesus didn't ask us to show up for a crowd. He asked us to go through the door. When we have an opportunity to preach the gospel, all of us, it doesn't matter who we are, need to open our mouths, right, and preach the gospel. It has to be a grassroots movement. That's what what we're going to see politically, socially, you know, spiritually, this is going to be a grassroots movement. This is going to be person to person, flesh to flesh, grab your hands and pray for you. This internet, social media stuff, that's, that's, that's old. That's tired. The power of God is in the room, right? The power of God is where two or three are gathered in his name. The power of God is reaching out to somebody that you know needs to be loved. The gospel was spread from person to person, from home to home, connecting flesh to flesh. And this is an open door. And then the third thing that we can look at when we talk about an open door is our future. It's our future. It's our purpose. It's our promise. In Jeremiah 29, 11, what does he say? He says, I know the plans I have for you. And that door is open to go and get what he knows. <laughs> he knows what your plan is. He knows what your purpose is. So who are you going to go ask? Him. 
In Revelation 4.1, we're going to get there soon. It says, after these things, I looked and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice, which I had heard, like the sound of a trumpet speaking to me, he said, come up here. And then what did he say? I will show you what must take place after these things. Jesus has given us an open door to go right into the throne room and say, okay, Jesus, I see this crazy things happening. Tell me what to do. Tell me what you have for my future, for my family, for my grandkids. I need to know what you are doing. And he's opened the door for us. We, can, we have access for protection for our future for his guidance, for his provision, for his protection. And we will see how he confirms this to the Church of of Philadelphia in verse 10. Revelation 3.9, I'm going to move into this scripture. It says, Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. I will make them come and bow down before your feet and make them know that I have loved you. Now, we talked about in the last couple cities that the Jews were in these cities. And the way, which they were called, right, originally, or Christians, people that followed Jesus as the Messiah, were considered a sect of the Jews. Although the Jews didn't really like them very much, they considered them a cult. And so every time that they would get frustrated with them or they would want to persecute them or they would shut them out of the synagogue, whatever would happen, these churches would feel persecuted. So so they're persecuted out in the culture, right? And they're persecuted in to the place where they're supposed to belong. So they had a lot of opposition. And Jesus was saying, I see what you're going through and I see what they're doing. And they will eventually find out that I have loved you. And what he's saying here is he's saying the Jews will one day understand that I am the Messiah. And when is that going to happen? That's going to happen in the last days. So this church specifically is a very prophetic type and shadow of the church during the last days when the Jews finally will realize, whoa, he is the Messiah. And Jesus will extend grace to his people, won't he? He's going to extend grace to his people, the ones that will profess Jesus as King of kings and Lord of lords. And we celebrate that. Revelations 3.10. Let's go here. Because you have kept my word of perseverance or instruction, I also will keep you from the hour of testing, that hour which is about to come upon the whole world to test those who live on the earth. So we have a picture of his protection and his provision In the time of testing, he has promised to what? To keep us. He will keep us. He will watch over us. He will guard us. The time of testing, or you could say, what is a testing? A testing is a trial, right? 
It's a, an endeavor, scrutinizing when somebody disciplines you. And what's happening here is Jesus is allowing these things to happen. He's allowing the enemy to rear his ugly head on the earth for the purpose of everybody has to choose, right? Yeah. It's for the purpose of choosing. Remember, Elijah said, choose you right now who you're going to serve. Can you see right now? Like there's a choice that has to be made and it's, it's getting clearer and clearer by the day. Who do you stand for? Do you stand for Jesus? Do you stand for righteousness? Do you stand for holiness? Do you believe truth? Or are, are you over here wishy-washy? And that's what trial and testing is for. It's purposed for that reason. But in the middle of that, Jesus is saying, I will keep you. I will guard over mine. I will watch over mine. And that's why it's so important right now to know his word for ourselves. Know his word for ourselves. To obey his word for ourselves. This is also a scripture that helps us understand and have the faith for a pre-tribulation rapture. Now, I know there's a lot of controversy out there, and you'll hear me say that I lean towards this because one of these scriptures, this one is very specifically one of the reasons I do. But even if it's not, he said he would keep me, right? He said he would keep you. So we can have faith and be settled and have peace, knowing and understanding that he is going to take care of us and guard us and watch over us. Revelations 3.11, I am coming quickly. Again, another reason. <laughs> I believe he's prophetically speaking about the last days. Jesus knew he wasn't coming in the day of Philadelphia, right? He was saying this because it was a prophetic word to the coming church. That's us. I am coming quickly. Hold firm to what you have so that no one will take your crown. And this is why we, we believe that verse 10 is prophetic, because he references his return. And then he says, hold fast, be strong. It's like, it's like you can imagine somebody holding to a to their Bible with a tight grip. Like, you can't get this out of my hands. And that's what he's saying. You can't, you have to hold fast to truth because there's going to be opposition in your, in your ears and in your eyes and in our hearts, right? They're, it's, they're going to try to come and, and rip truth from our hands. And we have to hold fast and have a tight grip on it. So that no one will take your crown. That's referencing an athlete award, an athletic award, like a crown at the Olympics, right? And when you think about an athlete, you think of someone who has trained intensely. If we think about church, we have to, we have to just be honest. Church is not, it's not it. Church is not, church is not the race. Because we come to church once a week, yeah. are, we, are you kidding like, if an athlete showed up at the gym, an Olympic athlete showed up at the gym once a week, 
would they be getting a crown? It wouldn't happen. And sometimes, I'm not saying anybody in here, but sometimes we think because we show up at church once a week, we're running the race. You might be walking a bike path somewhere, <laughs> but you're not competing in the Olympics, right? But he wants us to win the crown. He wants us to win the crown, and it takes intense training. It takes a tight grip, especially in the last days. One commentator says, I am coming quickly. Hold fast. Continue your race as those who are striving for a garland. And then in 2 Timothy 4.8, it says, In the future there is reserved for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Do we love his appearing? Are we sitting on the edge of our seat saying, Jesus, you're about to show up. You're about to show up, and I am ready. I'm ready. Finally, in not finally, we have two more verses, a couple more verses to go. Revelations 3.12, the one who overcomes, he's talking about that victor, right? The one with the crown, the one who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God and he will not go out from it anymore. You see, this, this scripture meant so much to this church because every time an earthquake came, everybody in the town went out from the presence of the city and they camped out in the wilderness. And so Jesus was telling them, I'm with you. I understand what you're going through, but you are never going to have to leave my presence. I'm going to establish you like a pillar so that you're with me 24 hours a day, seven days a week in my presence. And the very few artifacts, which is so cool, the very few artifacts, because they just built a city right on top of the ancient city of Philadelphia, are these pillars. Isn't that cool? You can barely find anything left of the city of Philadelphia except these pillars. And the church of Philadelphia lasted the longest of all the seven churches. It wasn't overtaken until 1390 where the Ottoman Empire finally took the region. So it had lasted. And that's what he's saying to us. You might be small. You might not have a lot of world resources. But man, if you just do what I've called you to do and you are, are faithful and you stand up for truth, guess what? You will last and I will protect you, right? You're going to be a pillar in my presence. Revelation 3.12, this is, there's so much here. I had to cut these verses up and separate them because I, I had to talk about this separately. It's, and I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God and my new name. Can you believe that? Like that verse right there, there's so much packed into that verse. I could probably, or not me, somebody really good at 
study and speaking and everything, could probably like preach on that for three weeks. Because there's so much in a name. There's so much in a name. Anoma, it's a name or authority or a cause. And sometimes we use it to express character, to express fame or reputation. It's the manifestation or the revelation of someone's character. And the cool thing is, is that according to Hebrew notions, a name is inseparable from a person. Isn't that crazy? So that's why they don't even speak God's name out loud. Because it's like I, they have so much reverence for the name. Because they believe you can't separate Mary from my person. There's like a presence that comes when you have a name, right? In Revelation 19.20, this is expressing Jesus Later on in the book, it says, His eyes are a flame of fire, and on his head are many crowns, and he has a name written on him, which no one knows except himself. That's his new name. Some versions say names and a name. So it's the whole person of Jesus wrapped up in this new name. And guess what? He's going to write it on us. When we, when we understand that they believe that that name is inseparable from the person, wow, right? Like he's going to write it on us? The commentary on the new name of Christ speaks of an incomprehensible identity as the Son of God. They don't even have words for it, right? We're not at a time yet where we can put words to his new name. Yet he says he's going to write it on us. And in that moment, I'm like, oh, God, are you sure? (laughs) Right? (laughs) He promises to give us his new name. The name of our God the name of the city of God, the new Jerusalem, and Jesus' new name. These names will be on us. Revelation 22.4, they will see his face, and his name will be on our foreheads. Wow. We will be marked as his. See, the mark of the beast why are we even concerned? Seriously. Cheap counterfeit. Right? Cheap counterfeit. That's all the enemy can do. He's just a cheap counterfeit of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Because his name will be written on my forehead. Will his name be written on your forehead? Come on. His name will be written on your forehead. And finally, in Hebrews 3.13, it says, The one who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And every time I get to another book, another church, I'm like, whoa, am I listening? Right? Am I really hearing? Because I'm learning so much more. 
because he's revealing himself. That incomprehensible new name is coming so much closer. Every day, every hour, every moment. And that's why we're reminding, he's reminding us, the one who has an ear, are you listening? Are you paying attention to what I'm doing? To what I'm saying to your heart? God has given us this beautiful gift of his word, right? To strengthen us, to encourage us, to admonish us to his faithfulness and obedience. So as we close, the three things that we need to remember about the church in Philadelphia is one, watch for your open door. (laughs) Every single one of you have been given an open door. Jesus is saying, it's open where you walk through it. You have this open door. It's your opportunity. Jesus is saying, come walk through your open door. Two, Become a pillar in his presence. A pillar that will last. Regardless of the shaking, right? Just like the earthquakes. Regardless of the shaking, you are not going anywhere. Even if your family shakes you. Even if your house shakes you. Even if your job shakes you. Even if your dollar shakes you. It doesn't matter. I'm a pillar. I'm not going anywhere anywhere. I'm staying in his presence. And then finally, number three, receive your new name. Receive his name. Let him engrave it on your very being. You know, they didn't have paper and inkjet printers, right? Oftentimes, when they were talking about putting names on people, it was either burned in or it was engraved, right? Or it was tattooed. I have one tattoo. Jesus but seriously right like this engraving costs us something when we allow him to mark us with his name his identity meaning we receive his authority and we receive his likeness So let's pray. Would you stand up with me? Father, I thank you for such a beautiful example in your word of a church who loved you. Even though it wasn't easy, they stayed faithful. They stood for truth. And I thank you, Father, that you have given us an open door this morning. Give us the courage to walk through it. And I thank you, Father, that you have made us a pillar in your house, in your temple, God. You said you will never send us away from your presence. Help us to learn to steward your presence well, to pay attention to what you're saying and doing. And finally, God, thank you for your name. Thank you that we're marked with the name of Jesus, 
with the name of your Father, with the name of the new Jerusalem that is coming down from heaven. Thank you that that name is on our lives, Lord Jesus. And if you don't know that you have received that name today, I want to invite you to ask Jesus to come into your heart because that's all it takes. As you ask him to be the Lord of your life, you surrender your future, you surrender your past, you surrender everything to him. And he comes in and he makes you new. Just like he has a new name, you now will have a new life. And he wants to give that to you this morning. So with every eye closed and every head bowed, I just want to ask today if there's anyone in here that needs to ask Jesus in their heart. I want to invite you to raise your hand so that we can pray for you. Thank you, Jesus. Father, I pray that if there is anyone in here that does not have the assurance of salvation, God, I bind up the lies of the enemy. That they, that when he says that they're not your own, that those lies would be refuted with the truth that says they are a son or a daughter of the king. We thank you for what you're doing in this place today. We thank you, God, for, for your word and for your life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, thank you for being here and um, live right, love everybody, and pray hard. And if you need prayer, do you guys mind? We'll just open the altar for prayer if anybody needs prayer. Love you. Love you.